It's On The Ledge podcast and I'm your host, Jane Perrone, and this week we're getting seedy. Ooh-er. Whether you've already sown your seed or you're itching to get started, this week's show will answer all the questions that you sent in about the sew-along and probably some you've never thought of. Before I forget, tomorrow, February the 6th and also February the 8th, if you happen to be in Canada, you can tune into CBC Radio 1 at 2pm your time and hear me on their show podcast playlist. So do tune into that. I think you'll be able to hear it on the website as well. So do check that out. I'll try to mention that in the show notes once that show has gone out. I'm not exactly sure what I said now, but uh, it was me talking about On The Ledge and another podcast that I recommended. So do look out for that. Also, a quick update on Legends of the Leaf, my crowdfunded book. Sorry, I've gone a bit quiet on that. Um, I've been so busy with, uh, well, life that that has had to take a bit of a back seat in terms of the crowdfunding campaign. I am at, she says, clicking over to the website, I'm at 64%. So, Two thirds of the way there. I've got 422 pledges, but please do spread the word. And if you haven't pledged already, crack on and get on with it because I want to write this book. I'm desperate to write it and I'd love to reach my target. And also when I do reach my target, those of you who have pledged for a houseplant consultation, a virtual uh, chat with me, will be able to get those scheduled in. So for everyone's sake, let's get this project off the ground. If you haven't heard of it, it is my book, uh, a passion project really, Legends of the Leaf, the story behind 25 iconic houseplants and the secrets to making them thrive. I'm really excited about this book and I think it's going to be awesome. Beautiful illustrations, bespoke illustrations from a wonderful artist called Helen Entwistle. And if you look on my Instagram, you can see the very first one, which is of a lovely spotty begonia. So if you want to find out how to donate, just go to my website, janeperone.com and all the details are there. Thanks too to my new On The Ledge superfan, Tabby, who has joined my Patreon subscriber group at the top level. Thank you for that, Tabby. And also to Rasco, who's become a crazy plant person. And to Matthew, who gave me a donation on co-fi.com. And whether you have the capacity to spend a dollar a month or a one-off payment of the price of a cup of coffee or $10 a month, then you can support me through Patreon or Ko-Fi. So do check out my website for details on that. I totally understand if you haven't got any spare moolah, what you can do is leave a review for the show on your choice of platform or just tell a friend. Thanks to Solange who sent me a beautiful picture of a Hoya Kerii that she managed to grow from a single leaf. So that's interesting. We have heard that said before that it's possible, but it's great to see the evidence, Solange. And for those of you who got in touch as a result of the humidity episode last week, 
Jeff got in touch. Jeff lives in the Great Plains region of the US and describes the climate there as very cold, very low humidity air in the winters. And Jeff writes, without a humidifier, I can feel the dryness of the air in the form of itchy skin, bloody noses and chapped, cracked lips. As you can imagine, I'm quite diligent in my humidifier care to combat these issues. And Jeff recommends the wick and fan type of humidifier as being the most effective. And he says that while they can develop bacteria in mould, that in most hardware stores in the US, you can get a water treatment solution for less than $10 that presents, prevents the problem. About every other day, I refill the humidifier in my shower and rinse the water chamber with plain tap water. Since using the water treatment liquid, I've never had a problem with bacteria or mould. And Jeff concludes, I would say that humidifiers are probably not worth the expense and trouble if they're solely for your plants, but are very worth it for your own comfort if low humidity is an issue in your area. Thanks very much for your message, Jeff. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm quite comfortable here at sort of 40 to 50 percent. But if it's dropping very low humidity wise where you are, I can imagine for your own health, it does a great deal of good. And it's great that you've found a system that really works for you. And that's what I love about the show, that there's always somebody from a different perspective who can come in and offer their experiences. Sophie also got in touch. Sophie from Seattle in the US says that a humidifier was something they got into once they started growing carnivores and orchids when they lived in the northeastern US. But now living in Seattle, Sophie drove across the country with 35 houseplants in the car. Yes, I can I can picture that, Sophie, it, that it's so wet that, that the humidifier hasn't been required. And Sophie writes, I just got more intentional about building micro habitats in the house, like setting up pebble trays. I also have a couple extra humid hot corners, one where I've set up my tea kettle on a shelf under the plants. I put a couple of plates under the plants so they're buffered from the heat, but the steam billows up around them. And another corner where I use my steam iron to press quilt squares after I piece them. Yes, fellow quilter here. Although I'm the world's slowest quilter, I'm still working on a quilt that I started about three or four years ago because I hand sew everything. So um, yes, painfully slow. Don't expect any much progress on my quilts. Anyway, Sophie goes on. My orchids, begonias and monstera love the warm, humid corners and are thriving. I also hang my nepenthes over the kitchen sink so they have a more constant, cooler cooler humidity. I think there are lots of ways to build microhabitats using just what you are already doing in your household. I think you're absolutely right there, Sophie. That's genius. And it really is worth thinking about those areas in your house where you might be able to create a little microclimate. So there's a bit of food for thought as you go on your humidity journeys, people. Before we crack on with the questions, just another little aside for you. Uh, it's a public information <laughs> announcement, really, but it's really got my goat this week. You may uh, know that I am a fan of the Gesneriad family, which includes things like Streptocarpus, the African violet, St. Paulia, which I think is now actually within the Streptocarpus genus, Primulinas, Petrocosmias, and more. And I'm delighted that I keep seeing a particular primulina pop up on my various social media feeds. But there's a downside. The plant in question is labelled as Streptocarpus pretty turtle. And as soon as I looked at the plant, 
I knew it wasn't a streptocarpus, um, knowing and growing these two genera quite well, it was obvious to me from the start that this pretty furry leaved houseplant with silver variegation in a kind of a turtle pattern, I guess you could say, was actually a primulina and not a streptocarpus. It's being really widely sold here. Um, I've seen discussion of it on a couple of different Gesneriad Facebook groups that I'm on. And so it is being sold in the US under this name and in Europe. And I was searching around to see who's selling it. And it's being sold all over the place um, in a variety of pot sizes from about, I think, 12 centimetres to 17 centimetre pot size. And the price ranging from anything from £22 up to £40. So this plant is coming on strong in terms of being sold all over the place. But the frustrating part is, is that the labelling is not correct. Why does that matter? Well, I mean, I don't know what's happened here, whether somebody's deliberately decided, oh, well, nobody knows what a primulina is, so we'll call it a streptocarpus because people have heard of that plant, or whether there's been a genuine mix-up or what's happened. But somehow this plant has ended up being labelled Streptocarpus Pretty Turtle. And in the description that I'm seeing on some of the plant sale sites, it's talking about this plant growing in Africa, in crevices, in rocks. Um, and that's a problem too, because in fact, primulinas come from China and North Vietnam, not from Africa, which is where Streptocarpus comes from. So the information is not correct on the description. Um, and this is a problem. I mean, it's a, it, we're back to the old issue that we had with Monstera Oblica, I guess, where plants were being sold as Monstera Oblica, which definitely weren't Monstera Oblica and were possibly some other kind of Monstera adansonii, some other form that we <laughs> possibly uh, didn't quite get to the bottom of, or Monkey Mask, because it was also sold under. And it's happening all over again with this Primulina. I think looking at the pictures that the Primulina in question, which has got this lovely silvery variegated foliage and pretty pale blue flowers held on long stems, a bit like, a bit like I guess, a foxglove flower, mini foxglove flower. Um, I think this plant is either a cultivar called Hisarco, which is a Primulina dryas cultivar, or another cultivar called Betty. Somebody else suggested that name. That is actually um, a plant that was bred from Hisarco, but it has a bit more silver in it. So just be aware, if you see this plant out and about uh, on your travels, Streptocarpus, pretty turtle that uh, it needs to be <laughs> it needs to be borne in mind that it's actually a primulina now when it comes to care i find primulina is a bit easier than streptocarpus to be honest the care's pretty similar so yeah it's for some people may say it doesn't really matter but it matters to me it's really important uh, you know i don't know whatever gen genus of plant you're into imagine if somebody called that plant by another genus and you could perhaps understand my frustration um and it's also worth bearing in mind that if you're in the uk anyway um you can get hold of this plant from dibley's nurseries they sell well you can buy a very similar primulina hisarco for £3.60 as a plug plant from Dibley's nurseries in the UK so don't feel like you have to spend a fortune on this plant in a way it's great news because it does get the primulina well it does get gesneriads as a family out into the public eye a bit more um so that's an interesting development and hopefully means that gesneriads will become more popular 
And I'm, you know, it's, I'm always banging on about how great Gesneriads are. If we can all begin to realise that, then the world will be a better place. But please, if you go into a shop and you spot this plant being sold under that name, do just have a quiet word with the shop owner and say, this isn't a Streptocarpus, it's not from Africa, it's actually a Primulina, and uh, you'll be doing everybody a bit of a favour. Names do matter. And in the plant world, it's very easy for things to be mislabeled and for names to be changed and a lot of confusion results. So let's hope that we can spread the word about this wonderful Primulina and uh, get everyone growing it under the correct name. those of you who have shared your exciting on the ledge so along news it's been fantastic to see those posts popping up on social media andy who's a squared on instagram has posted a picture of the seeds that are going to be part of their sow along and some interesting ones here we've got syningia bulata columnea purpurio vitata and you're a gesneriad fan andy you're immediately my friend <laughs> <laughs> um, and columnea linearis this is a great selection i wonder where you got these from but it's a really really lovely selection and do keep us posted andy about how you get on i'm going to follow you on instagram right now click that's done right so thank you very much for sharing that over on houseplant fans of on the ledge john is helping out a local marsh ecosystem and sowing several varieties of native wetland plants turtlehead bottle gentian prairie indian plantain in milk jug greenhouses to cold stratify outside i'm doing a slow power grab here john that's incredible well done excellent effort and bonus points to you because you also put the edited the post so that that otl so along was a post topic which is really helpful to help everyone find those posts really exciting what you're doing there and well done and let me know how you get on with that and i love the idea of taking those milk jugs cutting them across the center and turning them into a little mini greenhouse how awesome is that Hopefully these babies will come up happy in April, John writes, and can be transplanted into the wetlands surrounding our local creek. Oh, I'm feeling warm and fuzzy about that, John. That's amazing. Well done. Tenzin is planting or rather sowing tomatoes. I can't quite see the names of those varieties, Tenzin, but it looks uh, like you've got a good selection going there. And I think you're using a bit of recycled food packaging there. It looks like... Um, I don't know, cookie packaging or something that you're using. It's really cute the way that you've got those little segments each for different seeds and it looks like they're germinating. So well done on that. I'm going to add uh, the post topic of OTL Sew Along to your post now. So uh, do remember to use that. It's really useful for helping me and others find your posts. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B &B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. 
Greg is growing microgreens. You must have been listening to an early episode of On the Ledge. Um, They look great, those radish seeds, very tasty. So do check that out, folks. If you haven't listened to the microgreens episode, it's an early one. Um, So the sounds are not great, but it's really, really fun. And uh, yeah, it's a good thing to do on the windowsill. Tate remarks that he used to run a microgreens business and it's a lot of work to do at a large scale and meet all the cleanliness guidelines. I bet it is Tate, but fun to do on your windowsill if you have the room. Uh, German, um, I never know if that's how to say your name, German. I hope it is. I know we've communicated before, but um, I've never said your name out loud, so I hope that's right. Apologies if not. But German is going hell for leather with Monstro Deliciosa, classic choice, Bocania Ricovata, the ponytail palm, excellent, and Thaumatophyllum by Pinatifidum. I can't find that a struggle to say. <laughs> it's a great plant, though. Um, well done for getting those going. And that looks amazing. I think you're going to have fun with those. Um, Amani has been sowing sweet peas, nasturtiums and tomatoes and they've all sprouted. That's great. And Rachel said, Jane and co have really inspired me to plant seeds. I love growing something from almost nothing. I'm behind on the pod. Is there an on the ledge sow along this year? Uh, that is, uh, that's an affirmative and I hope you manage to catch up with this episode soon. So please do tell me how you're getting along with your sew along exploits. And if you haven't started, really don't panic. You've got plenty of time. So don't worry. In my on the ledge sew along news, I have got germination on my astrophytum and my selenocerius mix. I've got no signs of growth yet on the agave or the hoya or the clivia or clivia, depending on which way you want to say it. So, uh, I am growing those under a grow light. I don't know if I said that last week, but that's important because really at this time of year where I live, light levels are very low. So they do need to be under a grow light unless you've got an incredibly bright room um, or a warm greenhouse to put them in. So mine are under a Vaxa bulb in a normal um, lamp fitting. And because they're seedlings, the lamp is quite close. It's only about five centimetres away from the seedlings um, and the places where the seeds should be coming up. So, yeah, close for seedlings than you would closer than you would do for plants that are more mature and that grow light will really help prevent any etiolation of those seedlings, I hope. Right, let's crack on with some questions. And as you know, if you've listened to the uh, On The Ledge so long before, I don't like to impose a lot of rules and say, oh no, that doesn't count because it's not a seed, because that's really tedious. <laughs> so, you know, you can plant oxalis bulbs, you can plant caladium bulbs, you can plant pips from your supermarket lemon. I really don't care as long as you're planting something. And Claire got in touch with a question about her beloved purple shamrock, that's oxalis triangularis. And she's a bit worried worried because some of the little corms appear to be exposed above the surface of the soil and she says she's making it up as she goes along aren't we all and she's worried that might be wrong well this is one of these plants that will really grow anywhere and at any depth in the soil um i did a whole episode on this plant i'll put a link to that in the show notes but it's definitely not a major problem what you may find is that the stems are a bit more floppy because they're so um high up in the soil and if you add some more soil on top or alternatively replant them a bit deeper you'll probably find that they are a bit more sturdy and anchored in the ground but they'll grow anyway and in fact this is a time of year when some of my 
oxalis that went into a dormancy over the winter that just died back completely are regrowing. Um, they're regrowing covered in aphids. I don't know where the aphids are coming from, the little uh, so-and-sos, but <laughs> so I'm dealing with that and rubbing those off on a daily basis. But it's really nice to see the oxalis back into growth. And the next question comes from Rose, who got in touch to ask about the makeup of seed compost. As I said in my last episode, I didn't have any seed compost to hand. So I made up a mix using perlite and regular compost, um, which was a little bit sieved as well to take out any large pieces. And Rose was wondering what proportion of each I used. And Rose is planting chili seeds, sweet pea seeds and so on. Things that aren't succulents and cacti. Yeah, that does make a big difference. If you are sowing sweet peas, certainly I would say... I don't think I'd add any, I don't think I'd add any perlite actually for sweet peas. I think I would just make sure that there weren't any big lump, massive lumpy bits. Bearing in mind sweet pea seeds are pea sized, they're rather large, so they're not going to be bothered overly and they don't need a massive amount of drainage. Um, just beware, uh, people, I've seen a few people sowing sweet pea seeds, just beware that sweet peas while you can raise them on a windowsill, they do not need heat. They are hardy. In other words, if you are in my kind of temperate climate, then don't put them under a heat mat. Don't put them in a heated propagator. They could just go on a lovely light windowsill in your coolest room and they will germinate fine. In fact, they'll be happier than if they're given too much heat, which will cause them to go long and leggy. Uh, they're, they're hardy plants. Mine are outside in my greenhouse, unheated, and they were sown back in November and they're absolutely absolutely fine. So uh, you wanted to know about chilli seeds. For chilies, yes, I would add a handful of perlite. So you might be looking at a third perlite to two thirds seed compost. Everyone will have their own mixture on that. And in an ideal world, as I said, I would have some vermiculite on the top layer just to provide a nice moist environment for the seeds, but I didn't have any to use. So I just used perlite. But yeah, I mean, I don't have any great specific proportions but yeah let uh, a quarter to a third of perlite to um the court to two thirds to three quarters of potting mix would be my suggestion for things like chilies and a lot of the other house plants that you might be growing if it is cacti and succulents you're growing then 50 50 really between that drainage material and the potting mix it should be fine Lots of questions coming in about Monstra Deliciosa, where to get the seeds and germination questions. Obviously, I would say this is probably one of the most popular plants for people to try for the sow along. In terms of Monstra Deliciosa seeds, if you're in the UK, then Chilton Seeds has them in stock or did have them in stock until uh, when I checked the other day. So they should still have them. Monstra Deliciosa from Chilton Seeds. I know many of you have germinated those successfully. So that's a good source if you're in the UK. As I've said before in previous Sew Along episodes, take care when you're ordering seeds of particularly of trendy, desirable plants, because sometimes these are not all they seem. So only use reliable vendors, uh, be very cautious about sending money um, to vendors who don't seem to have a good track record because you may well find the seeds you get are not as advertised. Houseplant fans of On The Ledge listener Trish posted at the end of January to show her Monster Deliciosa seeds which come from Easy Grow Seeds. I think this must be in the US. Let's have a look. 
Oh, she got them from Amazon UK, actually. Uh, I, I haven't heard of Easy Grow Seeds before, but do let me know how you get on with those, Trish. Aroid seeds, you don't get many of those sold because they do really need to be sold fresh. So it's very important if you do buy Aroid seeds that it's a reliable source and you crack on and sow them straight away and hope that they have been harvested correctly. If anyone knows of any good Monstera Deliciosa seed sources in the US, do let me know because um, at the moment I can't really suggest anything on that front. I haven't seen anybody tell me that they've had success with seeds from the US. So do fill us in if you have any suggestions on that front. And Nick got in touch about Monstera germination as well, wanting to know the soil mixture that I find best for general germination of seeds and also specifically monstrous. I wouldn't go too complicated on this because your monstrous seed is not going to be in the seed tray for very long. The plant's going to grow quite quickly and will be potted up into whatever your regular aroid mix is that you use. Um, I would just go with what I've already said, about two thirds of houseplant compost or seed compost and a third perlite or other drainage material. If you've got seeds like cacti and succulents, they stay in those seed trays for a long time because they grow quite slowly and they don't need pricking out for several months. Whereas the monstera, well, you're likely to be pricking that out after a few weeks because they're much faster growing. You know, they're much more like a tomato or a chili than they are being like um, a cactus or a succulent. So you don't need to worry too much about the mix that you're using for your monster germination because they won't be there for that long. And by the time they get pricked out, then you'll be putting them into a mix which is uh, suitable for the older plant. I hope that makes sense. I'm sorry, it's not a very detailed answer, but yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about any of the soil mixes for young plants that grow quickly and are going to be potted on quickly because other than the gradation of them, as in it's not massive lumps, as long as they're free draining, the soil will be fine and the nutrients in the seed will provide the seed with the nutrients it needs until the point where it's ready to move on into a bigger pot. Next up, Billy got in touch and thank you, Billy, for your lovely long email. Billy found the show as a result of listening to the wonderful Plant Daddy podcast. Ah, yes, my friends, Matthew and Stephen. Thank you for listening to On The Ledge, Billy. Now, Billy's question refers to growing plants from pips, something that is great fun and I've done a fair amount of, but I haven't tried growing the pips of the custard apple aka the cherimoya from the tree Anona reticulata. Uh, I haven't actually ever eaten a custard apple. I've seen them in the supermarket. They've got, they look like an apple that's had scoops taken out of it with a spoon. That's not a very good description, but Billy says it's very sweet and a bit creamy in flavour, hence the common name. I want to try one now. I shall put it on my shopping list. But the shiny seeds are the thing Billy is really interested in. And Billy has taken a gamble and sowed a few in a pot indoors. Billy's in the Netherlands, so is not expecting any fruit, but is wondering if they will grow as a houseplant. Well, my Bible on such matters is a book called Don't Throw It, Grow It. It's Kitchen Magic, 68 Windowsill Plants from Kitchen Scraps by Deborah Peterson and Millicent Selsom. And I looked at page 102 and lo and behold, yes, you can grow the cherimoya, a.k.a. custard apple, from the seeds. And the advice here is to either try growing it in soil or in a bag of damp sphagnum moss. 
either way seems to work and then you can transplant to a pot. Apparently the seed pod does stick around on the young seedlings for quite a long time but you shouldn't try and remove that and once it's got two sets of leaves you can put it into a larger pot and it needs a bright window. Apparently it will grow eight inches a year uh, but won't bear any fruit which I don't think we were expecting. Uh, you need to do some pinching back as you would do with your avocado grown indoors to keep it not too from going sky high. The book also points out that some cherimoya can be deciduous so in other words they lose their leaves at some point so if that happens in the autumn then you just need to cut back on the watering and wait till spring. So Billy it sounds like you're good to go let me know how you get on I'd love to see a picture of the plant sounds amazing and that's one I might have to try. The book Don't Grow It Throw It is in fact a great thing to get hold of if you are interested in on the ledge sew along from a thrifty point of view taking anything from a kumquat to a sweet potato from your kitchen and growing it um, and yeah it's great fun I would definitely recommend giving this a whirl if you don't have any money to splash out on seeds you, you don't need it you can just try growing some of these incredible fruits from things in your kitchen and on that note I got a message from Kate asking me about growing dragon fruit seeds. She'd been reading the British magazine Gardener's World, which is the sort of magazine version of the TV show. And there was a piece in there about growing cactus from seeds. And it mentioned in passing that you could buy a dragon fruit from a grocer and take the small seeds inside and grow them into a vine-like cacti. cacti. Now, Kate wanted to know more and I was happy to fill her in. Yes, if you can get hold of dragon fruit, those curious, pinky, bizarre looking fruits really from uh, your grocer or wherever you get your fruits and vegetables. If you've never seen a dragon fruit before, it does. I always think it looks like a bit like a, what I imagine a dragon's egg to look like. It's large. It's about the size of a an egg shaped <laughs> Uh, grapefruit if I can put it that way with these sort of pokey spiky bits which are a bit of a lighter greeny yellow color and you're looking for a really mature one you don't want one that's really hard it should be fairly on the soft side if you want to harvest the seed um, and when you get it open with a clean knife you'll find that inside there's all this pink stuff. So you've got to separate that out. You know, you've got to spend some time mushing it up in a bowl of water and separating those seeds out and taking them off. If you've ever done tomato seed sowing, then it's a kind of a similar process. If you've collected your own tomatoes and want to sow the seed, you need those seeds to be free of the flesh so that they will grow nicely. And then you can just sow them as you normally would any other cactus or succulent into a nice gritty potting mix that's fine grain, as we've already discussed in this episode. If you want uh, the, the chapter and verse on this, there is a good video from Desert Plants of Avalon, which I'll put in the show notes to show you how to do it in full. Do check that out. She's got she's a great YouTuber and she's got lots of advice in there. Funnily enough, the dragon fruit's one that isn't in this don't throw it guide. Don't throw it, grow it guide, sorry. But there is in here also advice on sowing the prickly pear. Of course, another cactus that you can grow from seed if you happen to be able to get hold of prickly pears. Obviously, the Apuntia family. Now, the Hylocereus, going back to that, is uh, an interesting one. Hylocereus undatus, I think it's also known as Selenocereus undatus, 
is a plant that is may well be in your house without you realizing it because it is the plant that's used as the grafting material for the moon cactus. So if you've ever had one of those brightly colored red or pink or yellow cacti on the top, bold shaped cacti on the top of a kind of a triangular stem, well that stem underneath, that's the Hylocereus undatus. It's used for the grafting material. The only problem is that oftentimes after a few years the graft will fail on those moon cacti. So you may find yourself with a uh, the needs to regraft it onto something else, the bit on the top, which is the Gymna calcium. I'll link in the show notes to a nice page on the Oxford University website, which describes Hylocereus undatus as one of the most unruly species in the entire cactus family. And it can get huge and clambering. And, uh, you know, you could imagine this hanging from a tree, clambering over branches and it does look a bit of a mess quite frankly but it then has these gorgeous huge enormous white flowers which are absolutely amazing and then the resulting fruit which again I've never tried apparently that one's a bit disappointing uh tastes a bit like a not very tasty melon but I should get hold of one because it'll be fun to give it a try so the world is your oyster when it comes to the supermarket fruit you can try custard apple aka cherimoya you can also try the old dragon fruit both of which should produce you some interesting plants. I think that wraps up all my questions from you on the Sew Along. Don't despair if you've just suddenly realised what you wanted to ask me. There's still plenty of time to ask a question. I will be answering future on the ledge Sew Along questions and returning to the topic in upcoming episodes. But for now, that's all for On the Ledge this week. Join me again next Friday for another episode. I will be taking a week off, two weeks hence. So no episode on February the 19th. Back on February the 26th to celebrate the fourth anniversary of On The Ledge. meantime keep sewing keep growing bye the music you heard in this episode was roll jordan roll by the joy drops an instrument the boy called happy day gikana by samuel corwin and sundown by josh woodward all tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit janeperone.com for details. Mm-hmm.